Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Justin Boone. We got a lot to talk about today. All the free agent signings so far, what they mean for the fantasy landscape. There's also a couple other moves that I think are notable that I want to touch on. We'll bring those up and then we'll go over the best players left on the market. And there are still some really big names out there that we're waiting on, especially among the receivers. We might even get some announced during the show here. Apparently, Kenny Galladay has an offer from the Bengals. He's planning to visit the Giants next. Juju Smith-Schuster has some interest from the Jets. So I'll let you know if anything comes down while we're recording as breaking news. But let's jump right in. And we got to start with the Patriots, who are by far the biggest story of free agency so far. Just dishing out money all over the place. And yeah, we know this isn't how New England normally has operated in the past. But guess what? Bill Belichick is 68 years old. And I don't think he was very fond of having his first losing season since 2000 last year. So they're not interested in a rebuild. They want to be competitive right now. And that's why they spent a ton of money on both sides of the ball. We're going to focus on the offense here, though. Cam Newton comes back on a pretty team-friendly deal again. It's the kind of deal that it doesn't rule out the possibility of New England making another move for a quarterback, whether that be a signing, a trade, maybe even somebody in the first round. They'd probably have to move up a little bit, get into the top seven or eight if they want one of those top four quarterbacks, at least according to reports. But then you'd get somebody who could come in, learn behind Cam, and potentially take over for him if that shoulder can't hold up for a whole season, which at this point, I have my doubts about that. He averaged a career-low 177 passing yards per game last year, and he was held under 200 passing yards 10 times. That's terrible for fantasy. He only managed eight passing touchdowns in his 15 outings. And that number, really, when you look a little closer, it was propped up by a three-score game in Week 17, and that was a pretty meaningless contest against the Jets. I know the rushing ability is great. I would still expect some regression there as well. There's no way that he's going to score 12 rushing touchdowns again. Be very shocked if that happens, so be prepared for that. But the talent around him was certainly an issue. I know a lot of people have brought that up, and they have got him more help at the skill positions this year. They signed not one, but both of the top tight ends on the market, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. And this really sucks for those guys fantasy-wise because we were all hoping that they'd find teams that want to pay them, that want to feature them as the clear starter at tight end. Now it's going to be anybody's guess who's going to lead them between those two. And I'm sure that New England is going to use a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to get them both on the field. I would expect that John is going to be moved around the formation, that Henry will be used more as the inline guy, but really they're going to be interchangeable. And I'm guessing that's what McDaniels and Belichick love, but this isn't Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. We're not going to see this passing attack be nearly as effective as it was in those days. This is still an offense that's going to grind it out, that's going to try to run the ball a lot and use Cam's rushing ability. The receiving core, even though they've added some guys here, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, it remains one of the weakest receiving cores in the league. They're joining Jacoby Myers, who, yeah, he produced when he was fed targets, but he's still a relatively unproven asset. Nikhil Harry, the former first-round pick, he's looking like the odd man out, and there's talk that he could be traded away. Right now, if you're looking at their depth chart, I would think he's fallen to fifth or so on their depth chart. So a trade seems pretty likely if they can get anything for him at this point. Julian Edelman, not a lock to return to this team. So where does that leave us? I mean, fantasy-wise, Cam is a QB2. 
not somebody who I'm overly excited about, as I'm sure you could tell based on what I was saying a second ago. I don't see the QB1 upside for him, so you'd only be looking at him as a starter in two QB leagues, super flex leagues, that sort of thing. Johnny Smith, when I first wrote it up on day one of the legal tampering period, I was looking at him as a, a low-end tight end one. But then once Henry showed up, they both cannibalize each other. They fall into the tight end two ranks, and they're not guys that I'm going to be targeting this year. I think there's better options at tight end. And at receiver, the Pats wideouts, they're just going to be dart throws at the end of your redraft leagues. And really, guys, that you're going to probably target in best ball because then you don't have to make a decision on when to start them. But overall, I'm staying away from this New England offense. I think these were really nice additions in real life, but we're not going to see anybody get featured in this offense. They're going to spread it around. They're going to be game plan specific like they always are. And that's going to make it tough to use these guys as every week fantasy starters. And the good real life additions, but questionable fantasy ads, it's kind of going to be a theme throughout these early signings. I'm going to bring it up quite a bit, I think, but we'll keep moving on here. I know I spent a bit of time on New England. I'll try to go through some of these other moves a little bit quicker so we can get through everything. The other one, and this kind of came down right before the legal tampering period came about, but the Packers keeping Aaron Jones four years, $48 million. People have looked a little closer at that contract and really there's an out after two years here. So everyone that's freaking out about AJ Dillon, yeah, this isn't great news for AJ Dillon at all. I know you thought that he was going to be the starter this year. I thought he was going to be the starter after they didn't franchise tag Aaron Jones, I thought that A.J. Dillon was going to get his shot to be the starter in that offense. But really, when you look at this contract, it breaks down to kind of like two franchise tags in those first two years, money-wise, and then they'll have a chance to get out. And at that point, Aaron Jones being 28, 29, around that range, they might want to get out at that point. And A.J. Dillon will still be there, hopefully, and they'll have a shot to give him some starts. So, I think A.J. Dillon is still a player that I would want to hold on to. I think he's going to be one of the better insurance policy, one of the better backup running backs in the league, a guy who could still be a a league winner for you if something happens to Aaron Jones. And we've seen Jones get nicked up in the past. I know for Aaron Jones' value, this is going to keep him in the top 10. A lot of people have pointed to Jamal Williams, who signed with the Lions, him leaving as something that could help Aaron Jones. And yeah, I think it will get Aaron Jones maybe a little bit more work in the passing game, but A.J. Dillon could still get work there as well. And also, A.J. Dillon could come in and steal some of those goal line carries, steal some of those touchdowns away from Aaron Jones, and that could hurt him a bit too. So I don't really have him up in that top five. I have him more as a low-end running back one, and then A.J. Dillon now falls back. He's at the top end of those backups. He's going to be somebody that I still want to grab if I can in the, the later rounds of drafts. But for sure, Dynasty owners, very upset. I mean, you thought Dylan could come in here and right away step in, maybe be a top 20, top 24 guy, and now you're going to have to wait a little longer for that to happen. But still good things in that Green Bay offense, and this keeps things rolling with Aaron Jones still there, so no worries. I mean, I quickly mentioned Jamal Williams. Him going to the Lions is problematic for DeAndre Swift, and it's kind of what we just talked about. Williams can catch passes. This isn't like Adrian Peterson, who really wasn't a factor in the passing game. When he was there, yeah, he took some work away from Swift early in the year. But as we saw later in the year when Swift was healthy, he was getting the bulk of touches. I think Jamal Williams comes in. Coaching staffs love him. They're going to use him in the passing game. So that bumps Swift down a little bit. On top of the fact, and we've already talked about this in the last couple months, after that trade with Stafford and Goff, having Goff in that offense... 
I'm not liking that Lions offense nearly as much. So that's going to hurt scoring opportunities and that sort of stuff for Swift. I don't think that offense is going to be nearly as successful. So he falls down still an RB two, not a guy that you're going to completely shy away from, but not somebody that I'm as excited about as a guy who could have potentially been an RB one this season. We'll keep moving on here and I'm just going to skim some of these other moves, uh, things that don't move the needle too much. Rob Gronkowski going back to the Bucks. Just remember, OJ Howard was hurt last year. And when both of those guys were healthy early in the season, now Gronk was knocking off the rust. So that could have been a factor. It was a very small sample size. But before Howard got hurt in those four games, Howard had 11 catches, 146 yards, and two touchdowns. That rusty version of Gronk had nine catches for 88 yards and no scores. Now, as the year went along, Gronk looked a little more like himself, an older version, but still a little more like himself. Started scoring touchdowns, getting back on the same page with Brady. But I think Gronk is a tight end too. I think he will produce Howard this year, but Howard being back is going to hurt him, as well as the fact that, I mean, they're bringing back Chris Godwin on the franchise tag, so there's a lot of mouths to feed in that passing game. Gronk is going to be really touchdown dependent, but that's kind of how he was last year as well. The Jaguars signing Carlos Hyde. Now, he turns 31 in September, so he's not somebody that's going to come in and take over the starting job. I know there's a connection with the new Jags head coach, Urban Meyer, dating back to their time in college. I don't think that Hyde is coming in to really steal a ton of work away from James Robinson. In fact, and this is the prism that we need to be looking at this James Robinson, because who really cares about Carlos Hyde fantasy wise. But when you're looking at James Robinson, this is almost an ideal scenario because we had to dodge a couple bullets here. We had to dodge the bullet that free agency, they weren't going to bring in a big name like an Aaron Jones or someone like that. And then the draft will be the next one. Now, when you're talking about an undrafted player like Robinson, even for as well as he produced last year, when you're talking about a guy like that, there's always the possibility that they could get someone else to come in. And we saw them say that they wanted to bring in competition at running back and people got really worried. But if the competition is just going to be a 31-year-old Carlos Hyde, this is great news for James Robinson. This keeps him up in the potential low-end RB1 conversation there. Yes, he's a scary play. And yes, we're going to have to get through the first couple days of the draft in order to be confident that he's going to be the unquestioned starter. But right now, this is looking great for him. And Hyde is a, a late-round target, a guy who can come in. We saw it in Seattle last year. If everybody else is hurt, he can come in. He can give you some starts. Not somebody that's going to hold up over the long term, though, at this point in his career. The Jets signing Corey Davis. Now, this one's a little more exciting here. I feel like I've been talking a little more bad news so far, but Corey Davis going to the Jets. It's not an ideal landing spot by any means. The quarterback situation is completely up in the air right now. And Davis, for the most part in his career so far, has been a bust after getting picked in the first round. But he's coming off a year where career highs and catches career highs in yards, touchdowns, 100-yard games. He had five of them last year, and his yards per catch was up at 15.1 yards. So he did a little bit, at least enough that we can start to think that maybe he's going to be able to sidestep that dreaded bust label that would come with a guy like him that really didn't produce in the first three seasons of his career. Going to the Jets, though, I'm curious to see what happens at quarterback for them. I don't think it's going to be Sam Darnold. I would imagine they're going to draft somebody. That's probably good news at this point. The fact that Adam Gase is out of there, that's good news as well. But it does make it tough for us projecting these receivers because now you have Jamison Crowder. 
Now you have Denzel Mims, who I still like a lot. I know he didn't do a lot last year. He was injured, kind of set him back a little bit, but he's somebody that when he got opportunities, he was definitely flashing. And now you have Davis here who he could be the number one. He could be a strong number two. The talk of Juju Smith-Schuster makes me think that they would release Jamison Crowder. I don't think that they would bring in Smith-Schuster and keep Crowder. I think that would be the new trio of Davis, Mims, and Juju Smith-Schuster. If that happens, that's pretty bad news for Corey Davis. Right now, I think you could expect similar numbers to last year. My early projections, which you can find. I was doing breakdowns after every day of free agency so far here. And I've put projections, at least early ones, for all of these guys in there. And my early projection for Davis, barring any Juju Smith-Schuster news, 61 receptions, 867 yards, four touchdowns. That puts him in sort of that wide receiver three conversation kind of on the fringe there. Not overly excited about this Jets offense, but I do think that we haven't seen the best from Corey Davis yet. The Saints keeping Jameis Winston. I've talked about this on the show before. We don't need to go too far into it. My concern here, I know all the reports are saying that Jameis is going to be the starter. I think that's the right call for the Saints. I like hearing that. I got a lot of dynasty shares of Jameis Winston, so that would be great news for those teams. But remember that Taysom Hill, even when Drew Brees was there, was involved. He was taking the field and Drew Brees was going to the sidelines. If Jameis is in there, especially, we know Jameis is still going to make mistakes. Even if he plays more within himself, even if he limits the turnovers a little bit, he is still going to make some mistakes and they are going to go to Taysom Hill at times. So when I was projecting for starts, I didn't give him the full 16 starts for Winston. I looked at it more as like 14 starts. Maybe I should have gone even lower with that. But I also think even if Winston's healthy, they're going to bring Hill in in the red zone. He is going to steal some touches here, some touchdowns as well from Winston. So that's what scares me and keeps Winston as more of a low-end QB2. There's upside here, but these guys are going to split one way or another, and that lowers their ceilings anyway, regardless of who's the starter there. As far as what it means for some of the other guys in that offense, I think Alvin Kamara is going to be fine. I think Michael Thomas... The best version of Michael Thomas is what we saw a couple of years ago where he was catching basically everything thrown his way, putting up 100 plus catches. I don't think we're going to see that. He's still going to be one of the better receivers in the league, a top 12, top 15 fantasy option, but he's not going to be in that top five. We just have to adjust moving forward. Uh, Washington landing Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was the last one that came down late on day one of the legal tampering period and Fitzpatrick going to Washington. This is fantastic. I mean, not only is he a fan favorite, we love to see good things happen for him. We didn't really love what happened to him last year. I know they had to go to Tua at some point in the year. That's what's best for their franchise moving forward. But Fitzpatrick was still getting it done. And will there be games? He is the older version of Jameis Winston. There's going to be games where he is throwing picks like crazy, where he loses you some games because of that. But he is going into this Washington offense that is just chock full of talent. Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson. Now they've signed Curtis Samuel. Just a great collection of skill position players there. The offensive line is pretty good. I really like, I mean, Logan Thomas at tight end. I can't believe I didn't mention him. One of the breakout stars at tight end last year for fantasy. Fitzpatrick is going into almost an ideal situation here where he's replacing quarterbacks that as much as we love that story with Alex Smith last year, Alex Smith was not helping this offense get to its ceiling. Fitzpatrick, there will be down days, but Fitzpatrick is going to push the ball downfield more. He is not going to be afraid 
to target his stars. He's going to pepper guys like Terry McLaurin. I can't wait to see how they use Curtis Samuel. Samuel, if you've been reading my stuff, you know he was in my article, three free agents ready to star with new teams. I love this signing. I love this destination for him. I think they're going to get the most out of him. Anyone that's worried that he's going back to Ron Rivera and going back to the offensive coaches that kind of held him in check for the first couple years of his career, know that Scott Turner didn't take over as an offensive coordinator there till the very end. So I, I don't think we can judge completely based on that. And I think we saw a lot more from Samuel last year. I think they're going out and they're spending to get him in free agency. And it wasn't a cheap contract. I mean, they spent up to get him. They didn't wait for the market to play out. They wanted to get him into this team. They needed a second option in the passing game. And I think the guy this is going to hurt is J.D. McKissick. McKissick had over 100 targets last year. He's not going to get anywhere near that. That's a role that Samuel can come in and play, be more dynamic, give them a lot more. Terry McLaurin, we know Ryan Fitzpatrick loves targeting his top receivers, and McLaurin has been kind of like an Allen Robinson light where he's been producing no matter who's at quarterback. So now he's going to have a guy that's going to pepper him with targets. It's great news for Terry McLaurin. Puts him, I almost want to move him into my wide receiver one ranks. Uh, Samuel has a chance to be a wide receiver two, probably more realistic to look at him as a wide receiver three. And Fitzpatrick, he's going to be an excellent quarterback too. You know, he has the rushing ability where he could, if everything went well, he could sneak into the quarterback one ranks, the top 12 there. But I don't want to go that far with it. I think look at him to be more around that top 15 area there. All right, moving on to day two and the signings that we saw. The Chiefs, and like I said, it's not just going to be the signings. It's also going to be some of the guys that were cut. I want to talk about the Chiefs' backup running backs. We're not going to spend too much time on backup running backs today, but the Chiefs keep Daryl Williams, who played very well as their number three, who kind of became their number two as the year went along last year, just because Le'Veon Bell wasn't really getting it done. But then they cut Damian Williams. Damian Williams opted out last year. It's an unfortunate situation for him. I mean, two years ago in that Super Bowl, he could have been the Super Bowl MVP. Comes back last year. They draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You see Damian Williams opt out for the season. You figure maybe he'll come back this year and regain that number two role. It's not going to happen now. Daryl Williams played well enough. And maybe there's an opportunity for them to grab another running back in the draft. Maybe, you know, a day two or day three guy. Or for them to sign someone else. If we see these running back markets sort of emerge as slow as they have in the last couple of years where some of these veteran guys hang out there for a while. Leonard Fournette last year stayed on the market for a long time. Devonta Freeman stayed on the market for a very long time. If they can get one of those veteran guys at a, a very cheap cost later in the offseason, maybe they do that depending on what happens in the draft. But looking at this, this is great news for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It makes him the unquestioned guy. Not that they weren't going to give a first round pick every opportunity in the world, but you know, if they brought in someone else to compete with them, the possibility was there. I mean, they're loading up everywhere. Um, I think that looking at him going forward, we're going to look at him as an RB2. Um, feel pretty strong about you know him having a better season in year two than he had in year one. And Daryl Williams, and the, really the reason I bring this up is because now until we see them make another move, Daryl Williams is somebody that you could be stashing. You'd be grabbing late in best ball just in case if something happens to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Right now, Daryl Williams is the guy in position to step up, and he could be the Damian Williams that we saw. No one really thought much of Damian Williams. He was a journeyman, and then when he got to start in the Chiefs offense, he really produced. So Daryl Williams could be one of those high-end handcuffs next year, depending what else they do in that backfield. The Giants signing John Ross. 
Not really that exciting for fantasy. He'll get another shot to produce. There's talk that the Giants could sign Kenny Galladay, like I mentioned off the top. If Galladay shows up there, Galladay really fits in perfectly because Galladay could give him a real number one. Then you have Sterling Shepard in the slot and Darius Slayton as a field stretcher. It's a really nice trio if they can get a Galladay deal done. John Ross, it's probably not going to happen for him at this point, but he needed a change of scenery, so that'll at least give him a shot. Uh, the Texans signing Tyrod Taylor. This is another one where I'm not going to talk too much about backup quarterbacks, but because this is the Texans and we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson as far as a trade, uh, there's some legal issues out there that we won't talk about today, but we'll see how that develops, some charges that have been brought against him. Uh, the Texans, if they deal Watson before the season starts, Tyrod is the kind of veteran who could get some starts in this offense, maybe even start for a whole season. And fantasy-wise, wouldn't put him anywhere near the quarterback one conversation, but he could be a guy that could sneak into the quarterback two super flex starting options just because of that rushing ability that he has. And we might've saw it last year with the chargers. Unfortunately, the incident that happened at the beginning of the season there, we had his lung punctured, never got a chance to start. And they went to Justin Herbert and never looked back. Well, Taylor could be the one starting in this offense. In general, though, that Texans offense, it is pretty scary right now without knowing what's going to happen with Watson. I mean, Cooks could still get it done. Tyrod's been able to support a number one receiver in the past, but not a lot of options that I love because of the uncertainty in the Texans offense. I even think I talked a few weeks back about David Johnson there. And just if this offense isn't really rolling, are you that confident putting him in your lineup? Elsewhere, Jaguars signed Marvin Jones. This one was kind of interesting. I mean, I get that the Jags want to surround Trevor Lawrence with talent. This is assuming that they take Trevor Lawrence number one overall, which I think is a pretty strong assumption. But he's coming into a receiving core that already has DJ Shark, that already has LaVishka Chanel. Those are two receivers that I'm very excited about for fantasy. Marvin Jones, not the player that he used to be. A guy who can come in, can contribute. He's got a connection there as well. Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator. He had a lot of success with Daryl Bevel the last couple years with the Lions. He had some really nice stat lines. I mean, 62 catches, 779 yards, and 9 touchdowns. 76 grabs, 978 yards, and 9 touchdowns. Those are his stat lines over those two years. So really nice numbers playing in Bevel's offense. I'm sure he will get some touchdowns here, but he is going to have to split. And we don't know for sure. As much as we want to believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to step in and be a great prospect, that is not a guarantee, especially in year one. So I do think this Jags offense is going to be pretty strong. It's going to be better this year. They're going to get better quarterback play. But thinking that he could support all three of these guys, I don't know if that's going to happen. So I'm a little bit worried. It's going to bump all of them down a little bit in my rankings. I still like them. There's still guys that I'm going to try to target, but you just have to understand that, you know, seeing DJ Shark emerge as maybe a number one receiver like he had put up those kind of stats a couple years ago, I don't think we're going to see that if you bring in a guy like Marvin Jones. Andy Dalton joining the Bears. I mean, this is just, it's so sad. This is not what the Bears fans had in mind, and it makes it worse that you find out that they really went hard after Russell Wilson, according to reports, right? They put out a big offer and Seattle was considering it apparently and then decided that they didn't want to move Wilson. So you have Andy Dalton there. You have the beat writers and the national guys kind of suggesting that Dalton could be the starter. He'll compete with Nick Foles for that job. And I'm not so sure that Andy Dalton is that much of an improvement on what they've had with Mitch Trubisky 
and Nick Foles. Dalton, at this point in his career, yeah, we look back to the Bengals days, and he was able to support some weapons in those offenses, able to get his team to the playoffs. But this version of Dalton, he's later in his career now, and I know it's just a one-year, $10 million deal, so it's not big money or anything like that, but this kind of leaves them in the same position that they've been in the last couple years, and it's terrible news for Allen Robinson. I mean, I think there's still a chance we could see him request a trade, demand out of Chicago. I don't love this for Darnell Mooney. I don't love this for Cole Komet, some guys that we're excited about. And Dalton's not somebody that you're looking to grab at all in fantasy because we don't even know if he's going to hang on to this job. If he struggles, we could see something like last year where Trubisky gets some starts, Foles gets some starts, and then it goes back to Trubisky. Maybe the same thing will happen this year. It'll just be Dalton and Foles kind of you know, playing hot potato with the starting spot. Uh, the Bills signing Emmanuel Sanders. Now, I want to say here that people were very worried about what this means for Gabriel Davis. Davis, rookie last year. Played very well, scored seven touchdowns. Looked like a perfect replacement for John Brown, who was leaving. I don't think this is going to hurt Davis as much as people think. I think the Bills really like him. I don't think they're going to want to stifle his development by just slotting Emmanuel Sanders into the starting lineup. I think Sanders gives them a hedge in case that Davis doesn't produce, in case he has a sophomore slump, which is possible. Gives them a, another guy they could put in there, could rotate with Davis a little bit, keep some of those guys fresh. If they have an injury to Diggs or Beasley or Davis, now you have a veteran who can step in, give you some quality starts. And then also, they're going to use four receiver sets, and now you have one of the best four receiver sets in the league. So not uh, not wanting to go get Sanders at all, I wouldn't do that. I still, I think in Dynasty especially, if someone's worried about Sanders showing up in Buffalo, Go and try to get Gabriel Davis on the cheap. If you can still get him for like a third round pick in rookie drafts and dynasty, I'd be doing that all day long. Really like him. And I'm even considering, I mean, somebody like Darnell Mooney. I really like Darnell Mooney, but with Andy Dalton being there, I might want to trade Darnell Mooney straight up for Gabriel Davis at this point, just because I think that Bill's passing attack is going to be much more effective. And I think Davis showed us signs in year one that he could be a potential star moving forward. So a little bit worried about Mooney and that Bears offensive attack. Not too worried about the Bills attack. And I love this signing. Another real-life signing, great. But Sanders is not somebody that you're going to want to go pick up in fantasy. Maybe a waiver wire guy. Another reason, though, to keep pushing Josh Allen up your rankings. Because, man, the weapons they have in Buffalo, the way that they've surrounded him, the culture. I know I'm a Bills fan. I won't make this a Bills show. But I love what they've done there. Uh, yesterday on Wednesday, Marlon Mack stays with the Colts. Now, people are worried. There were some people saying that this could be bad news for Jonathan Taylor. I don't think so. I know the Colts coaching staff loves Marlon Mack. He's coming back and he's young. I know he's only 25. He's coming back from an Achilles tear. That is a nightmare injury for running backs. Maybe he can get back to some semblance of what he was before. But we'll see. I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to come back and produce this year. And the fact that they just signed him to a one-year, $2 million contract, that's nothing. There's a chance that he's not even on this team this year, week one. So we'll see what happens there. Not overly worried about Mac affecting Jonathan Taylor's value. The Titans keep Anthony Ferkser. Now, it's really interesting for the Titans tight ends because they kind of used them all last year. They had four tight ends that they used quite a bit in Jonu Smith and Anthony Ferkser and Michael Pruitt and Jeff Swaim, all four of them were free agents. And now we only see two of them coming back. Anthony Ferkser's coming back, 
and Jeff Swaim is coming back. John, who obviously went to the Patriots like we talked about, and there was talk that maybe Michael Pruitt would be back, but more of a blocker. He's not a guy that's going to impact Ferkser. We don't have a huge sample size when it comes to Ferkser getting a lot of snaps. Last year, there was only one game where he played over 50% of the snaps, and man, he went off. Eight catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. On the year, his numbers improved across the board, 53 targets, 39 receptions, 387 yards, and that one touchdown that he scored in that game where he got a lot of work. This is an interesting situation. If we want to look at guys who are a little further off the radar, who could move up into that tight end one range for fantasy, who could be this year's, not Darren Waller what he is now, but Darren Waller, that breakout season he had a couple years ago, could be this year's Logan Thomas or Robert Tanyan. Those guys that broke out a little later in their careers after they'd been in the league for a few years, this could be Ferkser this year. Also because Corey Davis is gone. It's not just John Smith, Corey Davis. They don't have their number two receiver. Maybe they'll pick somebody up in the draft. Maybe they'll sign somebody. I would imagine that they will. But now we're looking at an offense at the moment where you have A.J. Brown getting a ton of targets and I'm moving him up in my rankings. Love him as a top five guy. Might have to push him into the top four. I don't know. He's really moving up there ahead of guys like D.K. Metcalf. And Anthony Ferkser now is somebody that's going to get a lot of work, somebody who has flashed definitely with his opportunities in the past, not just in that one game, but he's a guy that he showed he has the skills to be a starting tight end in the NFL. The Titans recognize that. They brought him back, and we'll see. He's somebody you got to keep on your list as a late-round tight end with the upside to be your starter all year long. The Raiders signed wide receiver John Brown, former Bill Brown, this is a nice real-life signing. I do still think that Brown has something left in the tank. Injuries might be a bit of a concern. He missed time last year, but he is a guy that can produce for you. He's a guy that can give you a veteran presence, and with Nelson Aguilar leaving, he can slot into that role. I don't think this hurts Henry Ruggs that much. I think people are far too low on Henry Ruggs right now. I would still be going out and getting him in Dynasty Leagues. I'm still willing to draft him this year. Brian Edwards, we'll see what he can do. I think people might be a little too high on Brian Edwards. We didn't see much from him last year at all. Yeah, he's an intriguing prospect. But in this passing game, are any of these guys going to be real fantasy assets? I mean, Ruggs and Brown at least have a chance. They don't need a ton of volume because they can cash in on those big plays. But Darren Waller is going to be the number one pass catcher in this offense. That is without question. So unless he gets hurt, I'm not very excited about that passing attack at all. And I know they've brought back a couple guys now, Richie Incognito. They brought back Denzel Good. But they have lost a lot on that offensive line. And will they have time? Is Carr going to have the time to look downfield for guys like John Brown and Henry Ruggs who have that speed? Are they going to be able to make as many explosive plays with the offensive line not being as strong? We'll see there. But Brown, not somebody that I'm overly excited about for fantasy this year. And I'm not that excited about A.J. Green going to the Cardinals. I mean, I had to write this up. And at one point in the day when we didn't have much else, A.J. Green's picture was leading my article for the day. And that just felt awful because last year, I think we saw A.J. Green is washed. Do you want to make an argument that he wasn't getting enough catchable passes? Sure, but I also don't think he was getting any separation. I think that's part of the problem that quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, whoever was under center, they were having to force the ball to him. And yeah, he got over 100 targets last year and only caught, I believe, 47 passes on the year. Just an awful catch rate, 
Obviously a career low for him. He had career lows across the board almost. I mean, yards per game, he only had 32 yards per game. Yards per catch, 11.1. Touchdowns, two. Those were all the worst marks of his career. It's really been three years since we've seen him put up a decent season, a thousand yard campaign, had the injuries, sat out because he wasn't happy with his contract and sort of blamed it on the injuries. At least that's how it seemed. Right now, I don't think AJ Green is going to bring that much to the Cardinals offense. I don't even think that he's going to give them what Larry Fitzgerald gave them last year, to be honest, unless they use him in a different way and unlock some other version of AJ Green. I'm not expecting that to happen. And we don't know. Larry might still come back. He's kind of been dodging that question for a little while now. We'll see if he comes back, but I would rather have a Christian Kirk. I know AJ Green is a bigger name, but obviously DeAndre Hopkins is going to dominate targets there. I think Christian Kirk has a better chance to put up a a big season and have a little breakout than us seeing some sort of resurgence from A.J. Green, even in uh, an exciting offense and an offense that's improved their offensive line. I don't think A.J. Green has it anymore, so I'm not looking at him at all in fantasy this season. Uh, The Seahawks signing tight end Gerald Everett. Now, there is a chance here, and I'm a little biased because I know in that article I mentioned earlier where I talked about the three free agents ready to star with a new team, Everett was one of those players, but there is a chance here that he could outproduce both Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Even though we were higher on those guys going into free agency, the fact they both ended up with the Patriots kind of saps their value a little bit. And Everett's going to a Seahawks team where as long as they don't completely revert back to just that run-heavy approach, I hope we don't see that for a full 16-game season. And it is possible because that's all the talk in the media, all the coaches' comments. It makes it seem like that's what they want to do. And that's probably part of the reason why Russell Wilson wants out of there. But Gerald Everett, another guy who has a shot to be one of these guys in their later 20s. I mean, I think he's going to be 27 this year. To have the breakout in his career at this point. We know tight ends take a little while to develop once they get to the league. And Everett was in sort of a version of a committee of his own with Tyler Higby the last couple years. Now he's going to the Seahawks. Not a huge contract, but they lost Greg Olson. uh, Jacob Hollister, gone. So Everett's going to get a chance to be the starter there. And this should be a successful offense. Should have a lot of scoring opportunities. Could see him put up a decent touchdown total there. So a guy that another guy I'm going to be looking at as a late round tight end for 2021. Those are all the big moves so far. I mean, there's a couple other little ones, a lot of offensive line stuff at some point. Hopefully I can address that in the offseason. I mean, I'll have my offensive line rankings, but if you want to go look at the projections that I did for every player, all the players that signed, you can go look at those on the score right now. I have an article looking at the signings from each day. You can also check out the Offensive Free Agent Index, which ranks all the free agents in order of their fantasy impact this year, and it can show you where guys have signed, but it can also show you who's still out there, the top guys, and like I said, we'll mention a couple of them here. Kenny Galladay, he's getting some interest. I'm shocked that he hasn't signed already. Chris Carson, an excellent running back, a guy who I think is going to be undervalued here. Somebody who's played just phenomenally for the Seahawks the last couple of years. And I know there's some injury issues, but somebody that's probably going to get underpaid because that's kind of what happens to most running backs like him in free agency when they get out there looking for their second contract and they're not an established star like a Kamara or an Aaron Jones. You see these guys hit free agency, take a little longer to sign, but hopefully he gets a great landing spot because if he ends up somewhere good in a decent offense, we're going to look at him as an RB2, maybe even more. A Will Fuller, 
Uh, who knows how that suspension's impacting teams looking at him, but he's a guy that showed he has wide receiver one upside. Be very interesting to see where he lands. Kenyon Drake still out there. I don't think he's going to go back to Arizona, but the longer he sits out in the market, maybe he ends up signing a cheaper deal and going back to the Cardinals. And with the improvements on the offensive line, that probably would be a nice landing spot for him. Juju looking like the Jets. We'll see. Could be some other options. I know last week, uh, Dan Wilkins of the score, he was suggesting that the Ravens would be a nice landing spot for Juju. We'll see if that happens. Leonard Fournette, another running back, another veteran guy, probably going to end up back in Tampa, but I'm just kind of spitballing off the top of my head here for where I'd like to see some of these guys go. Antonio Brown with his off-field issues. Will he end up back in Tampa? Or are they going to go in a different direction? They got a lot of young guys there. Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson. They don't really need Antonio Brown back, but kind of like Gronk, it almost seems like he's tied to Tom Brady. So he might end up back in Tampa as well. James Conner still on the market. Not somebody that I'd be looking to sign, but a guy who definitely we're going to have to take notice wherever he ends up. Philip Lindsay, we just got the news today that the Broncos pulled back their tender on him. So he is now an unrestricted free agent, free to sign wherever he wants to go. And a guy that, I mean, a Pro Bowl running back, not that that means that much these days, but he is just overproduced every season. And yet they don't seem to love him in Denver and they're letting him go now. Kind of shocking, but it could be somebody that makes an impact wherever he ends up. T.Y. Hilton, probably just a role player at this point, but a guy that, you know, has a big name and maybe in the right offense could give us some games or at least a stretch of the season where he can produce if he ends up with a quality quarterback. Mike Davis, I think another guy that could be very underrated on the free agent market, showed last year he could put up starting running back numbers for your team. He can really be a starter in a quality offense. He did it last year in Carolina with CMC down. We'll see if he gets a shot to do it again this year. Might have to wait until there's an injury somewhere and then he can sign into that number one role. After that, it's getting pretty thin. I mean, guys like Sammy Watkins and Rashad Perriman, Le'Veon Bell, Duke Johnson, Wayne Gallman, we're really starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel. If you want to look at tight end, Jared Cook, Kyle Rudolph, some of the bigger names still out there, veteran guys that could come in and maybe make an impact, guys who we know can score touchdowns. We'll see where their landing spots are. But that's what we're looking at left. I don't know if I'm going to have to do an article every single day like we've done the first three days of free agency. I might just do a roundup every couple days at this point, depending how many signings we get. But I appreciate you sticking with me today. It's all for today's show. Make sure you're checking out all of my recap articles on the score. I'm going to have updated rankings, updated dynasty trade value chart, depth charts, all that stuff. We'll have that up over the next few days here. I'll be back next week. Until then, though, big thanks to the entire NFL team over at the score, all the hard work they're putting in during free agency. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time Leave on time with me tonight I said leave on time